This is The Guardian. Others and welcome to the Guardian Women's Football Weekly. Didn't the best summer of our lives just finish a minute ago? Maybe? Feels like it. No. We are only three days away now from the start of a brand new WSL season. Can anyone stop Chelsea winning a fourth consecutive title? Does Manchester City have any midfielders left? And is Paul Koncheski at West Ham one of the most surprising slash fun managerial appointments the league has ever seen? Uh, We'll find out what all 12 WSL clubs got up to over the summer. Look ahead to the first round of fixtures. Force our panellists into making some probably incorrect predictions and we'll take your questions. And that's today's Guardian Women's Football Weekly. Well, what an opening panel we have. Susie Rack. Oh, she's bopping already. We haven't even started and she's giving it the head wobble. Ready and raring to go. (laughs) I was going to bring a party popper um, and then I I wasn't organised enough to actually get one. And then I did genuinely consider the leftover sparklers in the drawer in the kitchen um, from bonfire night last year but then I thought like bringing one of those early in the morning into my office might be a fire hazard and not prove as effective as a party popper on a podcast so in theory in theory I'm letting off a party popper get in I love that I love that we we shall imagine the fireworks behind your back at the moment by the way um I've still got your charger from Switzerland (laughs) and um I forgot to bring it to Stoke on Tuesday night. However, I have a theory. I'm going to, unless we head to Switzerland, I am going to keep it for the World Cup because it's lucky. I think you have to. I think you have to. Yeah. All right. Okay. You're not, you're not getting it back. Um, Salon Andy Hickman, you've got a voice and I hear that you've been on the phone in Barcelona sorting out some tapas recommendations for Lucy Bronze and Kira Walsh. I have indeed. Well, that, I've got a voice back. I haven't actually been on the phone sorting out the tapas recommendations, though my parents do actually live about an hour and a half north of Barcelona. So, Kira, Lucy, if you're listening and you'd like a little retreat out of the city one weekend, just let me know. You can go and stay at my mum and dad's. <laughs> uh, Sophie Downey, a pod debut. I'm so delighted. I gave you a lovely wave at Stoke on Tuesday night. Little did I know we were having you on the pod, the first pod of the season. It's a delight. How have you been? How has the rest of your summer panned out? Good. I had a good rest after after the big day. Um, and now ready for action. Bit discombobulated with the um, international break recently, but ready to get into the WSL now. Yeah, that felt really odd, didn't it? It was a bit, no, 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 none of us are ready. Not ready at all. In fact, I hadn't even come back from holiday, so couldn't do Austria. <laughs> so I just did Luxembourg. I think what was weirder was then also having the Champions League before that as well. It's just completely thrown out my rhythm. Like It's like, you know, you get your circadian rhythm throughout a year. I'm like, why am I looking at Champions League fixtures now? We're going to get into that as well, because, I mean, early exit for for one of our teams from the Champions League as well, which, as you say, just seems a bit weird. Uh, Now then, we need to kind of like make sure that Sophie and anybody else who's listening for the first time knows our rules, um, because if seminal moment was the phrase that we were forced to ban from Euro 2022, Susie Rack, do we need to stop everyone from saying that this WSL season is going to be the biggest yet and before you answer that can we just check you've not written that in any of your articles to date well I do have to do a season preview that's due in later this afternoon and I feel like it should be in there I mean it probably is going to be the biggest ever but can we just say it once and then leave it at that like is that the is that the thing we can do right you do that now and do a dot 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 this is going to be the biggest season ever we're just going to leave that there at the top of the pod. Um, all jokes aside, Salon, the Lionesses win is obviously going to massively impact the WSL. We've talked about it a lot. We're already seeing the sold out grounds, record ticket sales and everything. And it does feel as if there's a huge amount of momentum behind it. Absolutely. I was cycling here this morning and I was thinking, imagine if we hadn't have won. Like, do that thought experiment. What would we be going into now? What would the mood be? What would the news have been over the summer? What would the press coverage have been? There would have been this like, oh, didn't they do well? But there's just that edge to like, oh, well, same old story. We don't really care. And I think we've, we're have we kind of 
guessing at the moment what the interest is going to be the biggest WSL season yet sorry I've said it twice we're guessing that (laughs) Um, we're waiting for this opening weekend I think to see not only how many people turn up in the stadiums but also the coverage what what we're seeing in the newspapers what's the tv saying what are the leading pundits in the men's game who we saw tweeting so much during the Euros what are they saying at the weekend so there is that sense of anticipation I think I'm probably not alone in hoping that I'm not let down this weekend yeah, I know I know exactly what you mean. And I think, Sophie Downey, you will know exactly what Salon means with that because you've obviously been covering the game for, for years. And in the kind of, is it 12 years now, the WSL as a format has been in operation. It feels like it's changed a crazy amount. But how have you viewed it and how much further can it actually go? I think the sky is the limit for it. I, I, I certainly think we're not finished yet. We've got a long, long way to go. But I, I think it's positive. I do. As you say, I want to see it keep going. You know, I remember coming back from the 2015 World Cup and we had the spike in interest for, you know, a few months and then it dipped off. I do hope that a lot of work is being done to to stop that happening so that we can ride this wave. And then we do have a World Cup next summer as well, which is a big bonus because it means, you know, interest doesn't have much time to to dip. It can just keep going. Um, but yeah, I'm excited. I hope the groundwork is being done. Um, I think it is. I've spoken to a few clubs and they're, they're working hard to try and, build on this um, energy that has been brought from the summer. Mm. And a good domestic season is going to help that even more. And uh, as exciting times for the Barclays WSL, um, we're going to start the pod and I'm, I'm just going to apologise for this because I do hate it sometimes when the focus always tends to be on the perennial top three, if you like. However, bearing in mind it is the preview pod, I think we kind of got to go in that order. So that's where we're going to start. Chelsea, Manchester City, and Arsenal. And let's start with City because a huge announcement yesterday that Barcelona have signed Kira Walsh for a world record fee of around £400,000. So long. Kira's now the most expensive player ever in women's football, taking over from Penilla Harder. Um, It's a big reward for a player who just lit the stage in the Euros. Yeah, so well deserved. Rightly so, she should be the most expensive player in the world. She showed that she was one of the best players, if not the best player in the world. I mean, that's a big statement. We haven't seen a lot of, you know, the US and et cetera, but she she was incredible throughout that tournament. And I was so delighted about the move because something's not right at City and players who are that good in this stage of their career with that win under their belt don't deserve to stagnate. And you saw it with how Georgia Stanway spoke about when when she was leaving and being forced into this utility player and feeling like she wasn't developing. And a manager's job is to get the best out of your most talented players and recruit well and develop other players. But if you're the top of your game, but you also feel like you're not learning and developing every single training session, then don't waste your career, get out. So I was so happy to see that she's going to Barca. I think it's like a perfectly romantic story as well. And I just, yeah, I hope they're going well. I hope they win the Champions League because of Kira and Lucy, not necessarily because I want Barca to go and dominate Europe. I would like to see English teams do well, but for me, I know that if they play really well in the Champions League, that means there's more exposure to to an English audience. And that's the sad thing about it is that week in, week out, as English fans watching the WSL, we don't get to watch Kira Walsh or Lucy Bronze play anymore. And that means hopefully we drive some more interest towards the Spanish League as well, which is only good for the women's game in Europe. Yeah, that's a really good point. Although I dare you to say that to Emma Hayes' face. <laughs> um, she's not the only player, as you alluded to. Georgia Stanway, Lucy Bronze, Ellen White, all out of the door. How destabilising is it, Susie, for, for Gareth Taylor's side? Oh, hugely. I mean, you add uh, Caroline Weir, who knocked them out of the, the, um, the Champions League. Um, there's just, I mean, even go back a little bit further. Um, Abby Dalkamper broke her three-year contract early. Rose Lavelle didn't really get played and left. Um, they couldn't keep hold of Mewis. You know, they let Mannion go. Janine Becky, who then goes on and wins the the, the Olympics. Like, there's a lot of players. Uh, Gemma Bonner as well um, goes to the US. There's, there's been so many outgoings. And, like, the, the thing for me is, like, often when you have a lot of outgoings at WSL Cup, it's, it's, it's kind of normal, right? Like, there's a lot of them are on short-term contracts. There's often high turnover of players. It's not totally unheard of but longer contracts in the women's super league 
the top clubs at the City's, Arsenal's and Chelsea are more common now. So it is a little bit more unusual. But then also, like often you can put it down to problems in the system and uh, and like the the investment of the club or the ambitions of the club, right? But in this case, you sort of can't because City have the best facilities. You know, they have the best training ground. They are treated like almost completely equally with the men's team in that in that setup. Right? It's what everyone says. Like it's a real elite environment built for them to perform. They like have the you know the the best of so much, and yet they can't retain players. And like I, I, you can't look too far beyond Gareth Taylor, I think, for that. Which you know is what is going to be interesting going into the new season to see how quickly he's been able they've they've recruited some great players I don't think City have a problem recruiting players but keeping them is the problem and the fact that they've lost so many of their players that have been there for such a long time I think is an indication that something is wrong and I I can't see anything other than Gareth Taylor being part of that problem um, which is concerning. Yeah, it's going to be really concerning for Manchester City fans as well because they had that late surge in the WSL after a dodgy start to the season and then, you know, got that Champions League place and the sooner if they got it, they're out of it. And as you said there, Susie, they were out of it, predictably, if you like, to a Caroline Weir goal, having lost to, to Real Madrid. And it's now the fifth year in a row that they've been knocked out by Spanish opposition, uh, Sophie. And Susie's kind of alluded a lot to to it there but Adam Zootman on Twitter has asked us what on earth is happening at Manchester City and what will Gareth Taylor's end game be what is the minimum he's got to achieve really with this team because even with the exits he's, he's got plenty of talent as, as Susie said this season he has to get Champions League he has to get that third Champions League spot I don't think anything less will do and you'll see another exodus if it doesn't happen I, I would agree completely with Susie as well. For me, the ones that stood out were Georgia Stanway and Kira Walsh. Those two are City kids. Like They are born and bred Manchester City. And if you cannot keep or try to keep properly your key players, your homegrown players, I think there is a, a big problem when they want to go abroad. Yes, naturally, they want to try new things. But I think you should be bending over backwards quite literally to, to try and keep them in the club and give them whatever they want to to build around them. So that really does give me worry about them. But yeah, I think I think Gareth Taylor, he's always seems to be in transition, doesn't he? We had the injury problem last season. We have the transfers this season. And at some point, it's not just about being in transition. It's about what's happening within the club rather than um, having these excuses about what's going on around the club. Yeah, eventually you're going to run out of excuses, aren't you? Um, No excuses for for Chelsea going into this season. They're not just the holders of the WSL, but I think it's fair to say at at this point, they're the keepers of it, really. Four of the last five editions they've won. We hold the WSL up, Susie, as this kind of greater competitive league nowadays. But actually, can we say that when it's likely to be Chelsea going on to win it again? Um, yeah, I mean, there was only a point in it last season. Um, so, Says you know, the Arsenal you sort fan, of can. reminding us all. <laughs> you, you sort of can. I mean, it's it's very hard to look beyond Chelsea, right? Like, they are doing everything possible to bridge the gap with Barcelona and Lyon. Like, that is their like prime focus. Um, it's going to be interesting to see sort of how things progress given, you know, Chelsea has changed entirely as a football club and the kind of support system that was there for Emma Hayes at the start of last season is not there at the start of this season. You know, it's a completely different setup. You know, she said she's getting, you know, support and stuff from the ownership and that, but I imagine it's, it's you know, very, very different and that things will look quite differently moving forward potentially. So that will be interesting, I think, to see see the impact of the ownership change at Chelsea. Um, like I mean, in terms, the, the thing is, is what Emma Hayes has the advantage of is she's been there for so long, she's been doing it for so long that she doesn't have to make like huge wholesale changes to her side. Like she's she's got it to a point and a level of competitiveness, professionalism, fitness that means that when she goes into a new season, she's not looking at having to gel a team together. You know, she's looking at gelling one player in and uh, and then you know kind of preparing some others for coming into the first team in the future like it's it's never a sort of we're changing the whole starting 11 and that's the big advantage right like she goes into this into the season with her team 
prepped essentially and uh, and ready to go. And they've had you know some players leave, but it's all been on their terms. Um, you know, it's all been players that have sort of needed to move on. Maybe Bar G, like who is going to be a big miss. But when you look at the form of like Jesse Fleming and her development over the last year, you can't really say that there's not a, a you know a sort of ready-made replacement coming in to to take on that role. And then they have added, but again, like I say, they've added players that you know the Buchanans who can slot into the first team, but then. Uh, some of the younger players, um, you know, the Lucy Watsons and things like that, that will, you know, come in probably similar to Lauren James and sort of be bedded into the setup and built up to being the level of the the rest of the squads over time. You know, it's I think that's the thing that Emma Hayes always says is it's, it takes a little bit of time to get people used to their environment because the standards are so high, and she's lucky enough to be able to do that and. Not many other teams can yet say that they can do that. I mean, you know, most other clubs have had had to make big changes and that impacts their start to the season because they're bedding them in and they don't have that problem. Yeah, it feels as if Chelsea can just go out and grab whatever international players uh, they want and everybody else has to kind of uh, fill in the gaps. Um, they have gone big in the transfer market this summer which in many ways for Chelsea fans is great news because Todd Bowley and his consortium have, have clearly decided they're going to um, continue investing. Uh, French fullback Yves Perisette, Serbian midfielder Jelena Sankovic, uh, Swedish winger Johanna Reiting Kanyard and Czech midfielder Katarina Svitkova. But Kadisha Buchanan, who Susie mentioned there, Salon, would you say she's the biggest signing to come to the WSL this summer? I think so. And she was done quite early, wasn't she, as well? And I think that was that was a, a real moment when she was signed with a statement of intent of what, what Chelsea were, were going to do this transfer window. Yeah, it'll be interesting. You've got Millie Bright, Magda Eriksson and Buchanan now back there. So I'm, I'm wondering how they're going to set up this weekend. I think it's a pretty scary defence. If you're, if you're looking, if you're a striker on an opposing team, you're thinking, how the hell am I going to break down that back line? And that's just such a mental advantage as well before you go into the game. But I think as well, one thing that will feel like an, a new signing for Chelsea, even though it hasn't been, is, is Lauren James this season as well. She was injured, right? When she was, she came from United, Chelsea kind of took that risk of, of just taking her and saying, we know she has massive potential. I was talking to one ex-player who said best player she ever played against and with was Kelly Smith. And I said, well, who would you see as the like next Kelly Smith? And she said, Lauren James, just wait. Like it is Lauren James. So I'm so excited to watch her this season because that like, you just want her to do well and you really want her to perform. And you always knew there was something kind of missing when you've seen her before. So with that back line and the reinforcements plus uh, a reinvigorated Lauren James, I think Chelsea are looking incredibly dangerous this season. Yeah, Sophie, you're nodding along there with Lauren James. She is a, such an a, a incredible talent and perhaps we've been unlucky not to see more of her, but she's so young. She's got so much uh, excitement ahead of her, but there's going to be a lot of pressure on her as well, I would say. She seems like the type of, of player and obviously she has her brother Reese at the club as well, but she seems like the type of player that that would just brush off of anyway and she knows what her talent is and she'll just step on the pitch and, and soak up that pressure. But Perhaps there's pressure all over Chelsea this season because of what they've achieved in the past. Yeah, I think on, on Lauren, I think she will soak up that pressure. I think she's well aware of it. And I think the James name does bring that extra pressure as well. Um, and she's been living with that for a while. Um, I do remember when I saw her debut for Arsenal against Millwall and I just saw her come on the pitch and I was like, this kid is going to be big. You, you know, with some players, you just know that they are absolute quality. So I do really hope that what she's shown in preseason is going to be shown, you know, throughout the season and that, you know, if she stays fit, she has a real chance of going to the World Cup next summer with England. Uh, in terms of Chelsea, there is a pressure. They always have to be at the top, don't they? So people are trying to take punches out, take um, blows out of them and stuff like that. But um, yeah, I think Emma Hayes is a good machine there. I think with the it's interesting with the owners because I know they spent big both on the women's and the men's side this summer. But I think we all expect that that isn't going to happen every summer. Um, I think we think that's new, kind of new new buyers spending um, and that eventually in the next few transfer windows, they're going to try and peter that off a bit because it's not, you know, just a open wallet. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens um, with Chelsea in the future. Yeah, going to be interesting to see 
how Arsenal react to, as Susie mentioned earlier, uh, falling at the final hurdle and being just a point behind uh, Chelsea. They pushed them so close last year. How big is this second season going to be for Jonas Eideval, Susie? Oh, huge. I, I hope. <laughs> um, I mean... Always a caveat. <laughs> Well, it's it's the Arsenal fan in me, not the journalist, <laughs> saying I hope. Um, I think his first season was very up and down in that they had that blistering start and everything looked perfect and wonderful. Um, you know, all the players were brought into his new high-pressing philosophy, possession-based, and it all, it all kind of synced really well. And then they hit that rocky period going into Christmas where they had the back-to-back games against Barcelona, the Chelsea and the the sort of COVID postponed FA Cup final and then, you know, losing Leah Williamson as well um, in the North London derby, like really, really ruptured their their season and the momentum. But also I think Idabal really felt the heat in that moment too, um, you know, real sort of, he struggled, I think, to get to grips with expectations of British fans and press um, and, uh, you know, his antics on the touchline in the first game, I laughed. I thought they're brilliant. That's what football's about, right? Like, I wouldn't care if any if any manager did it. It's it's the fun of it. Like, you want your manager to be passionate and run the length of the pitch and slide on their knees and scream and all of that kind of jazz. But there was just, uh, you know, like I think he, he rubbed people up the wrong way a little bit uh, with some of the things he said and the way he handled himself. And I think by the end of the season, he had sort of ironed out both the problems on the pitch with their like signings in the in the January transfer window as well, you know, Stina Baxter and stuff. But then by the yeah, the end of the season, they'd ironed that out. But I think he'd also found his place in the league a little bit and and, and settled a little bit more as a person in English football. Um so yeah, like I think I think he's really, really found his feet and Obviously, quite a lot of outgoing players, but very much sort of players on the fringe of the squad, and you know, not a huge number coming in. The um, Kalen, is it Mark Marquise, the keeper from uh, HB Coge, and then Lena Hertig is a great signing, but they've they've not really needed to make a huge amount. The biggest, the, their biggest and best signing is keeping uh, Miedema for a year <laughs> or a couple of years, reportedly. That's the the key part of their summer, but then again, that's signs that they're moving in the direction of Chelsea, not needing a huge turnover and just needing to like polish. And I think that's very very new phenomenon at Arsenal. Yeah, Salon Lena Hertig is uh, the kind of standout addition, if you, if you like. What's she going to add to this squad? I think it's interesting because obviously you had Miedemar who who would play there before and I think she will probably drop more into midfield like we've seen with Liv doing before. And I think that gives a slightly different edge to to how Arsenal will play. I think there's it's hard to not make a comparison to the men's game here, but recently you've seen this phenomenon of like turning back to a tall number nine, big number nine who can hold the ball up and get the head on things and win the tap-ins. And I think Hertig will, will sort of play that role. And I think that will do really well for like the likes of Beth Mead and Miedemar when you're kind of, you've got someone like that in the box to feed, but also you're around them to get the the kind of second balls. And and I think we might see a lot of goals scored that way for them. You've also also got the complimentary Blackstinius up there as well. So I think they look really threatening. I think the one maybe surprise or the thing that I would have maybe expected was a bit more coverage in in the CDM role as well for Arsenal. I don't think they've, they've got depth of, as a replacement for Walty in there. Um, but again, I think they're a team, like you said, is like they're forming and they're formed. They're kind of in the like norming storming phase of that team formation. They are, they, sorry, it's such a stupid thing to, it's like, I sound, I sound like a management consultant, but bringing, bringing that, I think, that group together of like what a Chelsea are at and knowing that this is the group that I really want to commit to. We've got a manager who's embedded. He's got, got rid of the players that he didn't really want to play. Nikita Paris was never in his, in his vision for that team. And she's now gone and you get that freedom and you get to make your mark as a manager and really build that sense of group. And I'm really looking forward to watching Arsenal play this season. And I am hoping that they do get the title rather than Chelsea. Oh, anything else that you want to upset Emma Hayes with this 
<laughs> this pod. I love We've gone Barty. You don't want them to win the Champions League. Don't want them to win the WSL. I'm setting you up, Salon. Don't worry. Um, I mean, it's a tough opening game for them. Manchester City away for Arsenal. And it's the most eye-catching um, eye-catching? It's the most eye-catching uh, fixture of the weekend, that's for sure. But as Chelsea showed last year, it, losing that first match for either of these two teams doesn't actually have that much significance in the grand scheme of things by the time we get to the end of the season. But there's still going to be quite a bit of pressure, Sophie, isn't there, on both of them to lay down a marker? Yeah, and I think if you're looking at Arsenal, they've got to look at that game and go, well, City are in trouble at the moment, you know. They haven't had time to bed in their squad. They lost in the Champions League. This is the opening game of the season. Actually, it's a real advantage to play them now rather than, you know, three months, four months down the line. Um, let's take our opportunity. I think in, Arsenal's really interesting as well because we've not heard a lot from them over the summer. We have no idea what they've done over preseason. We know Leo Williamson went on a bike in, in Munich, but other than that, uh, we, we have no idea what's been happening. So they've kept things kind of under the radar to surprise us all but I think both sides yeah they'll be feeling the pressure City certainly will want to put all of these bad sort of rumours around them to bed because people are talking it's only natural that after the summer they've had that people are talking and questioning what is going on I mean we've just done it ourselves you know questioning what is going on in the club um, so they'll want to put that to bed and Arsenal will want to make a statement that's for sure yeah, it's going to be fascinating to to hear Gareth Taylor's thoughts before and after that game, isn't it? Because, um, as you say, potentially under pressure and I'm sure he's going to come out all guns blazing. Uh, that's it for part one of the Guardian Women's Football Weekly. In part two, we're going to discuss the other nine teams in the WSL and get some <clears throat> predictions. Welcome back to part two of the Guardian Women's Football Weekly. Um, Susie, I know we ask it every single season, uh, but can anyone break into those Champions League spots? And if so, are Manchester United the favourites to do so? I spoke to Nikita Paris after that 10-0 win over Luxembourg for England at Stoke the other night, and she was absolutely determined that that was the aim for Manchester United this season. But can they actually do it? <sighs> My instinct says no. <laughs> Um, like I, th- I think they'll give it a good go. Like, I really like Mark Skinner. I liked him when he was at Birmingham. Um, I liked him at Orlando Pride at the end. Like I thought he just needed time to find his feet in, in the NWSL and uh, American football. And I've liked him at Man United. And they've brought in some really good players. Obviously, Nikita Paris is one. I really like. She struggled for minutes at Arsenal. She's been a little bit off the boil since the 2019 World Cup. Did okay at Leon, but was never going to usurp um, Ada Hagerberg from the sort of centre forward role um, or some of their, you know, their wingers like Diani and stuff. But she's shown well. She's shown in the last two games for England that she she can still make her mark. And like, I really like think a good run of like solid starts will reignite her form. Um, but then you know the likes of Myla Tissier, Rachel Williams. She's a bit of a confidence player, isn't she? I feel totally yeah totally I'd say her and Beth England if we're talking about England players that maybe have have gone off the boil a little bit of late real real form and confidence players and if they're not playing and not like not getting chances then they're not going to um yeah they're going to struggle um United have brought in some good players like some solid positions filled not really got rid of anyone significant so they have like done enough to push and challenge particularly if City sort of you know take a bit of time to bed in some of their new signings there is a chance to upend things a little bit I still think they're not quite there like I think every team that wants to challenge the top three is sort of like a transfer window or two behind those clubs is the way I'd put it in that it's the thing that I think Willie Kirk had the problem with when he was at Everton is like there were huge expectations on on Everton to break into that top three after a really good season. And they made like nine changes um, in the summer, nine new players in, real huge uh, turnover. And then he had a job of trying to bed those players in really, really quickly to be at a level to compete with the the Chelsea's and uh, and Arsenal's and Cities of the world, and the problem he had was that like he wasn't given enough time to actually gel those players, 
And in order to raise the level of the squad and of the starting eleven, he sort of had to bring them in and try and get them bedded. And he wasn't given enough time to do that. And like we're still at a stage where to have starting elevens at the level of the Arsenal's, the Cities and Chelsea's, it takes quite a lot of work in terms of recruitment to sort of build your squad up. It's not like they just, you know, you have the players that have the quality that are going to mean you do that. It's often that you have to bring in quite a lot of new players to be able to match those those levels. So you've got to sort of manage, you've got to try and recruit players in the knowledge that you're not necessarily going to be successful straight away. So you need to recruit a higher level of player, a player of the that elite top three level, and then convince them to stay long enough for you to have built the whole squad up to that level. And that's like the, the thing they're grappling with. So, I mean, I think as much as United, I think Tottenham have a chance of upsetting things as well. Like Rianne Skinner has been incredible. Um, yeah, it's the Skinners. The Skinners are the ones yeah. that have the potential to uh, to upend things, Rianne and Mark. Well, I, I was just about to ask Sophie about Tottenham, actually, because it, you're exactly right there. Because I think Tottenham were a surprise package last season, but kind of to be expected, really, with with a coach like Rianne Skinner there. And it feels as if they're on a very similar trajectory, Manchester United and, and Tottenham. And they're quite intriguing to me this year, in particular, Sophie. As... Susie was discussing that kind of model I was just thinking that's exactly what Tottenham and Rianne Skinner have done they've brought in the likes of Drew Spence Angarad James Amy Turner all with lots of WSL experience so uh, what what can they potentially do are they going to be knocking on the door as well um I think they may be a step behind United because um I do I look I actually look at the United squad and I'm really excited but I do think they can break it um this season for Tottenham, um, they have recruited well. I still think they are a key striker away. You know, one of those big names, strikers who's going to bang in the goals week in, week out. Um, I think they're one away from actually really making ripples to this league. I know there's a lot of um, excitement around the Polish striker that they brought. I can't pronounce her name, so I'm not even going to try. Um, but she's something like 20 years old or something. So she she's pretty young. So she's got a lot of potential. But um, yeah, we'll see what happens with that. But I think she has recruited well I think they overachieved a little bit last year we didn't expect them to be as good as they were and I think that's down to Rianne Skinner I think she's an absolute quality coach quality person she really gets that sort of personal management as well as stuff that goes on on the pitch so it's an exciting time for Tottenham I'm gonna give it a go Nicola Koshveska I think but we shall see. I'm not a commentator, so don't take me, don't quote me necessarily on that. Um, as if it was written in the stars to kind of pit these two teams against each other as the as the contenders for uh, that third spot salon. It's Tottenham versus Manchester United at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, kicking off the whole WSL season on Saturday. With what Susie and Sophie have both said about these two teams and obviously with your own interpretations of it, who's coming out on top on this one? Um, I completely disagree with Susie. I think think United are going to be the, the surprise knock on the door this season. I think they'll be chasing City for that. I think City are going to just completely have some shock results and collapses that mean that United can have a bit of consistency and get third. Yeah, I think United versus Spurs. If you look at the two squads lined up, like United squad is is a lot stronger. I think you've got all of the England girls, Russo too in Paris. You've got Zellum in there as well. Leah Galton. Everyone forgets about Leah Galton because she doesn't play for the Lionesses, but she is honestly one of the best forwards, wide forwards in this league. You've got an incredible goalkeeper who's just proven that she's the best goalkeeper in Europe and a really strong back line. I think a lot of the United girls are talking about Maya Letizia being really exciting in pre-season as well. So for me, that is a team that is on paper at the moment, a team that has played together longer, has better standout players than Man City at the moment, I would say, just because of what the, the turbulence that City have gone through. So I would expect United to beat Tottenham quite convincingly this weekend and also to do really well in the in the WSL. Um, Let's talk about Everton because it was a really, really disappointing and turbulent season for them last year. But actually, this season, they seem to have a squad that's going to be very competitive. 
They have got a new manager as well, Brian Sorensen. What do you make of him, Susie, of, of what you've learned of him so far? And, and what do you make of the side that he's assembled? I think it's a better signing than um, Jean-Luc Vasseur, who, by all accounts, was not particularly liked when he was, was Lyon manager. And very much the feeling was that they were winning despite him, not because of him. So, like, that was a real bizarre recruitment. I Like, Everton really struggled since uh, sacking Willie Kirk to, I suppose, make amends for that decision. Um, because that was, you know, real, real, real harsh, uh, harsh removal of him from that role so early on. And with so many changes to the squad after such a strong uh, season and a half preceding it. And... I think they've been like shooting in the dark a little bit. But Sorensen comes with a lot more pedigree um, in the women's game, which is incredibly important. Um, you know, he's played Champions League football. I say played like as in managed uh, Champions League football in uh, Denmark with Fortuna and FC Norseland. Um but yeah, like he's he's got experience. He's got experience of having managed in the Women's Champions League. He's got experience of having won championships in Denmark. He is like generally fairly liked from what I've gathered. And yeah, like is a lot more of a, not the big figurehead signing that Vasseur was, you know, the big name with the big name clubs behind him, but not actually the reputation um, amongst people that matter to boot. Um, so like it does seem like they've had a little shift in strategy and I'm kind of like quite excited to see what they do. I mean, I don't think it's going to be their best season in the world. You know, recruitment has been low. A lot of good players have gone, but I think they'll be okay. Mid-table, maybe. I can't, I can't really say more than that. I think they'll be okay. okay. Well, that, that, that's a decent enough prediction, I, w- I would say. Another new manager in the league, Salon, uh, Paul Koncheski. Bit of a, a random one, although he was Oli Harder's assistant, wasn't he? But um, it's quite a fun appointment, I reckon. How's he going to fare? Oh, it, it is just a bit mad, isn't it? But I think it'll, it'll be, in terms of the like nice sort of stories within the women's game that people want to get on board with, it's one of those things that you can, yeah, people will. But I think, yeah, the, the issue with West Ham has always been like this sense of potential and, oh, they could be, really good but then something not quite clicking I think transfer moves people going in and out I mean you you can't really talk about West Ham without thinking about the documentary that came out about them about however many years ago now it was and I think in there you, you saw a lot of the like ambition to be one of the top professional teams and try and get that set up but also kind of falling short and then that sort of disgruntling a lot of players and yeah, meaning that there was a lot of turbulence in the team. But I think, yeah, I mean, let's see how it goes. It's quite a fun experiment, see how Paul Koncheski does. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I'm also very much, Sophie, looking forward to seeing Rachel Daly in an Aston Villa shirt. I mean, probably the most surprise signing of the summer, I reckon. They scored the fewest goals of any team in the WSL last season. You would think with Rachel Daly there, that will change. How important is she going to be for Carla Ward? Uh, really important. She brings that experience, but I also think she'll help getting fans through the door as well after the summer. Um, I'm going to be interested about where she plays her because her uh, left and right back are pretty solid at the moment. So I think we might see Rachel Daly moving further forward to try and impact that problem up the pitch where there were you know, a lack of goals. Not for one to trying. There were plenty of chances that they created, but they could just never seem to hit the back of the net for whatever reason. So I think it's going to be a really exciting season for Villa. I'm I'm excited. I think they've got a, a good young manager. They may be struggle with because they bought in McGill and now she's probably out for the whole season, I think, because of that injury in the summer. That's a problem. So I wonder if we'll, we'll see any business today trying to, you know, help that forward line a bit more. And they are without Remy Allen, but they also have really good kids coming through. I mean, there's Olivia McLaughlin. Uh, she's, I think... Well, she started at 16 years old. I think she's probably now 17. And, you know, she is absolutely phenomenal. She looks like she's been playing WSL football since she was 12 years old. So I'm very excited about her. They have Laura Blinkilda-Brown. Um, she's another young kid, English kid. She played with the under-19s this summer. 
And that girl, I mean, she's so talented as well. So I'm very, very excited about what they can do. Yeah, I'm very much looking forward to that. And of course, Carla Ward, a superb manager as well. Another superb manager is Hope Powell. Fair to say Brighton had some struggles last season. And it feels, Susie, as if they lost enough important players to make Gareth Taylor at least feel a little bit better. Um, Emma Coivisto to Liverpool, Maya Letizia to Manchester United, Aileen Whelan to Leicester. How concerned do we need to be about Brighton? Concerned? Not as concerned as we should be about City, I think. Like like I say, they're, they're, when I look at these lower clubs, there is always high turnover, right? Like they're all on short-term contracts, a lot of them. You know, Maya Letizia is a huge loss. There's no looking past it. Ellie Brazil, like Coy Visto. Yeah, they, they, I mean, yeah, they have lost a lot and they've not recruited a huge number to replace them. Poppy Pattinson, Fierce. Tricky Sari, Rebecca Starr. Like I mean, good players, but not necessary players that are going to have them challenging for that fourth spot, which they, they sort of were at stages last season. Um, just struggled to find any real consistency. I always find it hard to write off Hope Powell. Um, like, she always seems to surprise me um, with what she's able to get out of players that you would, you would maybe start to write off. Um, so, like, yeah, I'm... Again, like another team I think is just going to do okay. Like they, I don't think they're going to have the season they had last year. I don't think they're going to look capable of being a complete surprise package at the top end like they, they did at points last season. But I don't think it's going to be disastrous either. Like I, just, I think they're going to coast it a little bit this season. I think it's a bit more of a rebuild of the squad season, if that makes sense, um, than anything significant. Yeah, I, th- I feel that that's why I was disappointed last season because they, they really were pushing like, at the beginning of last season and then it felt like it all just went a little bit a little bit wrong and I'd been so excited for them to do that because of the investment that they've they've put into um, that team and, and, and the support that they have from, from the club. It's incredible. So I really do hope they have a good season under Hope Powell again uh, this year. Um, Liverpool, Salon, your team... Back in the WSL, how good does it feel to see the two-time league winners back where um, I think that you believe they belong? I'm sure lots of people also do. So do I, in fairness. But I just didn't want to nail my colours to the mast on that. (laughs) It's good, but it also just makes me so angry to think about how Liverpool women are treated by one of the biggest clubs in the world who have such great success. And also the thing I hold really dear to like my identity as a Liverpool fan is this kind of socialist side to the football club and the city and to not support your women's team and just let them fizzle when, when you had something really, really good. And if you'd have been an early adopter of kind of the investment into the women's game, Liverpool would be up there obviously with Chelsea city, Arsenal, and could have had a real opportunity to stamp their mark on the women's game like they used to do. And they just needed that little bit of support at the right time. So it is good, but I don't think Liverpool, men's football club should take any credit for it a lot of this work has been done in spite of what they've had in terms of resources I think it's also really hard to predict their season because the championship is a very different league they scored a lot of goals I don't know if they will score (laughs) half as many as they did last season but they've recruited well I think Matt Beard obviously has good relationships within the women's game with quite senior players throughout his time in the game. And I think Julie Flatty coming into to Liverpool, Shanice van der Sanden coming back. I'm always so intrigued when like these players go away and then they come back. I'm like, did they just really love their life in Liverpool? They're just like, I miss the restaurants. I miss the bars. I'll just come back. Because, <laughs> you know, where, where could she, you know, Shanice van der Sanden could probably play in any of those mid-table WSL teams, right? So, so she clearly likes something about being at Liverpool, but... You've also got Leanne Kernan, right, as well, who who had a really good season um, last season in the Championship. So it will be interesting to see how they do. I don't think they'll be uh, in the relegation zone. I think they'll be a sort of mid-table team. And I think, yeah, they'll, they'll have some ups and downs, but it'll be really good to see them go against some of the top teams because I think Matt Beard is a clever tactical manager and he might be able to to silence some of those threats from the bigger teams where you might see other teams get get smashed by your Arsenal Chelsea's and, and well I'm saying United over City this time aren't I so and you're United so Liverpool United though in the women's game will be oh, beautiful right. to watch because I don't think I really remember that fixture I'm like it's not really happened in my lifetime at the level that it has so that's a 
really interesting narrative, right? For, for again, more fans to come across, but also existing fans in the game, me to see Liverpool play Man United women. I'm going to be, yeah, that's going to be quite an intense game for me, I think. Yeah, very much looking forward to that. Um, I wonder how Leicester are going to fare this season, Sophie. Uh, they struggled last year, obviously. It looks like they've got a real fight on their hands. You wrote a preview for The Guardian on them and spoke about how Lydia Bedford's really focused on improving them physically. How much is that going to help them? I think massively. I think they showed last year that they were ready for championship football and not necessarily um, WSL football. And a season to have bedded in, you know, into the league and got used to kind of the the physical aspect of the the football because it is a physical league um, will really help them. I uh, I think it's it's good for Lydia that she's been given the the mantle. You know, it's hard to come in and fight fires halfway through a season. It would be nice to actually see what she can do when she's looking at this kind of more holistic approach of you know long term vision. Um, we've not seen her do that before because she's been with the youth, uh, English youth levels. So it's actually a first for her at club level to be doing this. So it's rather intriguing, but I think they've done well behind the scenes more than recruitment as well, because um, they brought in Willie Kirk as director of football. I think his experience in the league will will bring absolute, you know, quality to and support to Lydia as well, because, um, yeah, she's going to need all the help she can get as well. Last but not least... Reading, and I'm sorry to Kelly Chambers that we've left Reading last. There is genuinely no narrative or, or reason for that at all. Somebody always has to has to go last, but um, maybe because they're the only remaining side in the WSL, uh, not backed by a Premier League club. Whether you think that's a, a good thing or a bad thing, you know, is is neither here nor there. But the work that Kelly Chambers does there, when we talk about managers within this league, is absolutely fantastic. Susie, what can they do this season? Yeah, um, I like Kelly a lot. I think she's a great manager, a uh, really good person. And what she's done there on the level of resources that Reading have is is really quite remarkable. Like they're never in the conversation for relegation. Like they're never in that conversation. Um, and, you know, they've got one of the smaller budgets in the league. And that's a credit to her. But they're never, ever sort of in the conversation of the teams that are sort of challenging around that sort of top three, top four positions um which is a real shame like I, th- I sort of think she deserves better and the 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 setup deserves better in that sense like they sort of need a, a big injection of cash to really accelerate things um they're sort of coasting a little bit i feel um you know they've made some good signings they've not had many leave um tash harding to filler is probably the big one that is you know quite a quite a blow she's a huge presence as as well as a brilliant player um, and be a real, real asset to the Aston Villa dressing room. But um, they've not had a huge turnover, which is slightly more unusual for them. So situation normal mid-table is pretty... Mm. Exactly. They're the team that I, by default and reluctantly, end up covering the least because it's so rare that they are in it's wrong to say important games, but like games that are going to determine the title or the relegation battle. So it means that they're the team that I end up covering the least because the games they play in uh, don't end up being hugely significant to to the outcome of things. And that's a real shame. Like I I really, I, I want to see them accelerate, like, because if they don't take a leap sometime soon, like surely the club and the ownership will get bored um, of this just sort of, perennial like mid-table slow burning existence like it can't like there's they're in a little bit of a equilibrium at the moment and Mm, or they could end up getting left behind a little bit with the acceleration of the of the league well they already are right like I mean you could have said that prior to Spurs and Man United's arrival in the league that Reading were one of the teams that had the potential to to like challenge at the top and to make a move but they never, they never really took that chance. I think one signing to be really excited about though is Charlie Willings because um, she absolutely tore this SWPL apart last season. It was ridiculous her scoring numbers. So that one caught the eye for me because I think she could do really well at Reading. I have a really strong affinity to them. I'm not <laughs> not a fan. I'll state that. But like I, I, I really love that club and what they're doing. I agree. And I think as you say, Kelly did say 
that this is the first time that she's managed to keep the core core together. So that's really important um, for her to build. And, and they went on that massive unbeaten streak last year where I, I turned into the lucky mascot because I was at every single one of those games that they won. Um, so <laughs> Wasn't she telling you you couldn't leave? Yeah, yeah. She told, she told me she'd get me to a game. She'd get me a ticket or something to, to that, that she could keep the run going. But yeah, no, so they have that ability. Once they get like momentum going, they can find a way to win. And they shocked Chelsea last season. You know, they had, they do have it in them. Yeah, they really do. It's going to be fascinating this season. We need some super quick fire predictions. Um, I'm going round one by one. Now, when I say super quick fire, I mean super quick fire. No context, maybe ifs, no buts, no nothing like that. I just want a name. I'm looking at you, Susie Rack. Uh, right, so, Salon, who wins? Arsenal. Who makes Champions League? Arsenal, Chelsea, United. Who's going down? Leicester. Sophie, who wins? Chelsea. Who makes the Champions League? Arsenal, Chelsea, United. Who's going down? West Ham. Ooh. Ooh. Susie, who wins? Chelsea. <laughs> who makes the Champions League? <laughs> Arsenal, Chelsea and United. Who's going down? Mm. I was going to say Leicester, but I really like that West Ham take. West Ham. You did the butt. You did. You couldn't do it. I had, I had we West Ham penultimate. <laughs> <laughs> and by the way, Arsenal fans, be delighted. I think Susie Rack did that on purpose because, as you'll know from the Euros pod, every prediction she made was pretty much wrong. So Arsenal were winning the title. <laughs> Not going to lie, that was in my mind. <laughs> Thought it might have been. Uh, listen, it's been an absolute pleasure uh, to go through a preview of the Barclays WSL this season. Thanks, Salon. Thank you very much, Faye. Good to be back. Bye, Soph. Bye-bye. Good to see you. See you later, Susie Rack. Bye. Until another early morning. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry to get you out of bed. Uh, the, the Barclays WSL kicks off on Saturday. Tottenham against Manchester United. That's followed on Sunday by Chelsea, West Ham, Everton, Leicester, Brighton, Aston Villa, Reading, Liverpool and Manchester City versus Arsenal. And we will be back with you on Tuesday early in the morning, just for Susie's pleasure, to go through all the matches from the opening weekend. The Guardian Women's Football Weekly is produced by Lucy Oliver and Jesse Parker Humphreys. Music composition was by Laura Iredale and our executive producer is Max Sanderson. This is The Guardian.